Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, hello. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G., Sending you good vibes, sending you love, sending you support, sending you whatever you need today. We're here together. We're a community. We support each other. We're so happy that you're tuned in. This episode comes as a collaboration with a website that is easier to read than to say. Whohaha.com. W-H-O-haha.com. It's a website. Uh, Elizabeth Banks created it as a way to help female performers and writers and filmmakers and actresses just support each other and be there for each other and connect with each other. And especially during COVID, it's been really awesome. Uh, So that's how we met this week's guest. Ella Lentini had such a good time talking to her. Ella's an actress. She's been in uh, 911. She's been in Wizards of Waverly Place, just to name a few things. She's a filmmaker. Uh, She directed and wrote Piece of Cake, which got into several festivals. It was on HBO's Outfest, and it raised over $10,000 for LGBTQ nonprofits. Ella's done so many wonderful things. We talk about a lot of them during this episode. So preface over. Let's just get right to it. Please welcome Ella. Hi, Ella. It is so nice to finally get to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. We're going to get into all the awesome things you do, but um, just quickly, actor, writer, director, filmmaker, is there anything else I'm leaving out? Um, it's, a, it's a lot of words, right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm also um, a mental health advocate, also immigration reform advocate and activist, and um, also dog lover. <laughs> yes. Uh, you d- didn't you just get a, a new puppy? I did. I adopted a dog. Um, probably not the most original thing to do. I'm sure a lot of people during quarantine adopted dogs, but he's the cutest puppy in the world. And uh, he's such an angel. I, I think him. having, I know when quarantine first started, which I thought was great. I was like, finally, people are, you know, all the shelters here were empty, which I was just, it was fascinating and wonderful and great that people, you know, finally said, hey, I have the time to, to dedicate. But I also think you know, it's, it's so important. I'm a cat person. Sorry, (laughs) but uh, no, I love all animals, (laughs) but uh, having them here during quarantine has, it's been very helpful for my mental health. Yeah, I I 100% agree. I think that ESA animals are real or ESAs are real. And I I hope that like, if anything, landlords, especially in the Los Angeles area, start to realize that they should not have no pet policies because it does make a huge difference on people's lives. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your puppy's name? His name is Kuma, which means bear in Japanese. 
he is he looks like a little bear and we actually like like a bunch of friends and I were trying to name him and we couldn't figure out a name I didn't name him for four days and then finally um someone told me this horrible story about a puppy that wasn't named so I like named him the next day oh well that's that's a motivator (laughs) yeah it's like he needs a name but yeah I laid out names on the floor and I just kind of let him walk over which ones um so he actually his full name is Kumaguchi (laughs) classy Yeah, Yeah, I think, um, so one of my cats I adopted from the SPCA, and one of the main reasons I adopted her is they had named her Purell. So so when you're walking, you know, because it's so hard when you go to the SPCA, I don't know how you adopted this puppy, but when I went to the SPCA, it's just all these cats that needed homes, and, and I could give them all a home, potentially. I understand societal boundaries, so, you know, I had to just pick one. Uh, for the time being, because my roommate said we could only have one. Um, and when we saw <laughs> her name was Purell, we were like, we got it. We can't have this. We have to save her and give her a normal name and not have her named after hand sanitizer. <laughs> Did you adopt her during quarantine? Was that like a quarantine name? No, this was 10 years ago. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so happy. What's her name her now? Her name's Bella, um, which my roommate picked. And at the time, uh, we didn't realize Twilight had the the chicken Twilight was named Bella. So that actually backfired a little bit because they're like, oh, just like a Bella and Twilight. And we were like, what? We don't watch. We're like 30. We don't watch Twilight. Yeah. Then I, I later on, I was like, maybe they did that on purpose. Like maybe all of the cats had these terrible names that we felt compelled to to save them even more, you know? <laughs> like we have to get them and change their name. Because they really know. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I, I'm positive that Kuma doesn't know his name is Kuma. He just like responds to the like tone of my voice and is like, maybe she'll give me a treat. <laughs> so I'm going to go running. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wonder too. I'm like, how do they know their, like, because I feel like they know their names, but then I'm like, maybe it's the way I say it. Maybe it's just that, you know, they know I feed them. I'm not really sure. Yeah. I mean, you'll never really know. My my dog actually has like these Cara Delevingne eyebrows. They're like so major. So he'll just look up at me and I'm like, you could do anything you wanted and you could get away with it because you have those eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, you should get them on Instagram immediately. <laughs> I'm working on it. And now that I have a lot of free time um, and, you know, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of film sets to be on. I'm like, how can I film Kuma and just like make him a Hollywood dog? Yeah, I watched this whole documentary about people that got cats specifically to like put them on Instagram and make them famous. And it's fascinating. That's kind of terrible, though, right? Like just to get an animal with the sole purpose of making them Instagram famous. Like as humans, it's hard to be on Instagram or any social media because it's just mentally heavy. And I can't imagine putting an animal through that and being like, this is your reason for existing. <laughs> yeah, I think I honestly, I think about half of the animals seem to love the attention and the other half are like, I did not sign up for this. Yeah, it's true. I will say that Kuma is picking up some acting skills because he'll like pretend to be sad. So I'm going to kind of like ride with that. He, sometimes he gets mad if I try and take a photo of him. Like he's really sensitive and he's like, no, like I don't want to be photographed right now. But then other times I'll be like Kuma and he'll be like laying down and his eyes are open and then he'll close them and like fake sleep for the photo. And I'm like, you're <laughs> such a ham. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll be a great Instagram star on his own time. <laughs> uh, so you're in, you're in Los Angeles right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm originally from New York City. I'm based in LA now. Most of my family were all scat- scattered at this point. My mom, she still lives in the apartment we grew up in in New York. Um, my brother's out in New York as well. I come from a family of five, so there are quite a few oh, wow. of us. 
Yeah. One of my brothers, he's in Canada with his family. My sister's out here in LA as well. And then my other brother is in Peru. Um, and that's where he lives. Oh, where are you in the lineup? Uh, I'm the youngest of the five. Um, so, you know, have some real like abandonment issues slash like FOMO. <laughs> like, I always was trying to stay awake to like keep up with my older siblings and like just wanted to be a part of the action and had to like learn a lot really quickly in order to keep up with all of oh, them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I always think big family because I just it was just me and my brother. So I'm always like fascinated by big families too. I feel like so many times when I talk to folks from like bigger families, they're all so tight knit. We are very close. Like I, I know for a fact if any one of us called each other and were like, hey, I need this or I need you right now, we'll be there for each other and do almost anything for our whole family. But we definitely like all have learned how to take our space because there's such large personalities in my family where like when we all, all are together for a long period of time, there's like a lot of drama, mm -hmm. which is not fun. I grew up in a one bedroom apartment in New York City. So my parents, my mom immigrated from Peru when she was 16 and my father immigrated from Sicily one question mark. There's a little <laughs> bit of like haziness with our family history. We can never get like quite the right answers or like straight answers from them. So, you know, there are some question marks, but he did, I think when he was a teenager as well, and they met in New York and at 18, my mom and him uh, got married. They had their first kid, my oldest brother, and then a year later, their second kid, my second oldest brother. Then there's a 14 year question mark um, where no one really knows the answer to what happened in that 14 years. But then came my sister, my brother and I. So there's like a large like gap between my two oldest brothers. So by the time my sister came around, my brother and I, uh, they were already 18 and out of the house. So it was my mom, my dad, my older sister, my older brother and I, and we grew up in a one bedroom apartment in the city. We had to be very close. Like there was no privacy. There was no like, I'm upset at you. So I'm going to slam my door because like someone needed to get in there to go to sleep as well. <laughs> yeah. So it was just a very unique and like strange experience growing That's up. That's a huge gap. Usually... And I, I, there's no usual for families, but I feel like a lot of times when there's a, a lot of children, they're just back to back to back. Yeah, so right. Take a, a 14 year year break, and then you almost have the kids out of the house, and then you're like, let's do this again. Yeah, I I, lo I love having this many siblings, and I can't imagine coming from um, like being an only child or uh, nothing was ever boring. There was always something happening, but yeah, it's definitely definitely strange that you know there's a, a larger gap between our, my two older siblings. And I'm sure that it mostly had to do with the fact that they both were like very Catholic. And so I think for 14 years, they might have had some issues in their relationship and split up. And they uh, did not believe in divorce and they did not believe in contraception either. So, you know, after they got back together, they started to have kids. And it's actually funny because uh, I was definitely unexpected. My mom thought she wasn't going to have kids anymore because she had like passed that age where they're like, you know, you're not really going to get pregnant or chances for you to get pregnant are very low. But she did. And uh, then yeah. I came along. My girlfriend and I were actually, we were just, we've been watching Shark Tank lately. And so we've been talking about, you know, we're like, we should make some money doing a Shark Tank idea. And then today we were just, we were just joking about selling our our eggs or uh, being surrogates, you know, we're like, what's nine months? Like we're already mm -hmm. staying home anyway, but we're, we're both uh, over 35. So we're like, oh no, we have these geriatric eggs that nobody's going to want. And it's like, you're still young. You yeah, you are. And also like, that's kind of, I think it's kind of be at my sister. She was 36 when she 36 or 35 when she had her first kid. 
and they called her a geriatric pregnancy. And I was like, that's BS. Like you're totally healthy and her kid is healthy. Like, I think it's just another misconception about. Yeah. Add it to the fucking list, right? (laughs) It's like after 24, you're like old, haggard and useless. Just crawl under a rock. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. I love Shark Tank. That's like one of my favorite shows to watch. Oh, yeah. Isn't it hilarious that in quarantine, nine months feels like yes. nothing? <laughs> I totally was thinking that the other day. My friend is pregnant. She just told me. And I was like, holy crap, nine months of pregnant. And I'm like, wait, we just experienced seven months or so in quarantine. Like that actually doesn't seem like that long of a time. Yeah. Months. And if nothing else is going on and you can't travel, you're like, this might be doable. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. not going to miss going out because I can't go out. I'm not traveling anywhere. So it's, yeah, I'm like... Maybe sign me up. Just, we'll see what the money looks like. <laughs> yeah. so what, what part of New York? I know you said New York City, but like what part of New York City? I grew up in in Midtown Manhattan. So like basically right by the Bloomingdale's. <laughs> like it's in City Corp. It's not an exciting part of Manhattan. It's actually mostly office buildings. So it's definitely a weird place to grow up. I did not hang out in Midtown by where I grew up. I hung out mainly by my school on the west side or with my friends over by St. Mark's and just other areas of the city that were much more interesting and creative and exciting than corporate (laughs) Manhattan. Yeah, I used to, um, I went to school in uh, Queens, but for one year I was like, I have to live on Manhattan. I just have to do it. I lived at 53rd and 7th, which is right near Times Square. And I I had a, a living room that had no windows to the outside is what I rented for $850 a month. And I was told that was an amazing deal. (laughs) But, you know, it it was nice to be there for that time. But I don't think I would, you know, have spent 20 years in that in that spot. Yeah, that's so funny. I I mean, yeah, I grew up right by where the apartment was that you you had. I'm not going to give the exact street because my mom still lives there and I still go there when I stay um, in New York. But I grew up right by there. So if you went to Queens, if you went to school in Queens, you know, the um, the Roosevelt Island Uh Ferry. Yep. So I that's exactly like right by where I grew up. Um, So it's like super random. I don't think anyone realizes that kids grow up in that area. It's like a very strange neighborhood, but we do. Yeah, that's what's always fascinating. People always assume, oh, kids grow up, you know, in Queens and Staten Island, God forbid. But they, it's like you can grow up anywhere. It's I, I think I get that too. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of LA, but I feel like when I tell people oh, I'm from I'm from Los Angeles, they're just like people grew up there. I've had a lot of people say that to me, and I'm like, yeah, people grow up everywhere. I'm always shocked when I meet someone and they're like LA born and raised. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought it was just transplants. Yeah. I, I think it feels like that when folks come, you know, because that's who, especially in the film industry and, you know, acting and whatnot. That's who you're meeting pretty much. But OK, so New York City, graduate high school, still in New York City. Uh, yep. Went to high school in New York City. I went to public schools my whole life and I graduated from the Beacon School and got into NYU on a full, almost full scholarship for creative writing and photography. Nice. So originally when I was, yeah, 
I know I wouldn't have been able to go otherwise. <laughs> Very grateful for that experience and also for my family pushing for me to do that. I kind of, I've always known that I've wanted to work in film. Originally, I thought it was just in front of the camera as an actor, but that had evolved and it truly did evolve because of my experience at NYU, which I'm forever grateful for. But I knew I always wanted to be in film. So my idea after I graduated high school was to just move straight out to Los Angeles and be like, I'm here. <laughs> which probably would have ended horribly. <laughs> so I ended up going to university, to New York University. And while I was there, um, a part of the deal with my parents that I made was like, because they did not want me to not live at home. I was like, look, I don't care if I have to get a work study job or if I have to take on another job, I want to live in the dorms. And that's the only way I'll go to school in the city. Because I also got accepted to Bard and I wanted to go to Bard so badly because I just wanted to get out of New York. I wanted to get out of my home. I wanted to just have a real like experience of college if I was going to go to Absolutely. college. So they agreed. And I ended up my second year switching to screenwriting and took a lot of producing classes and filmmaking classes because I was auditioning for projects and seeing the roles that were out there for, for, I mean, women, for young women. And I didn't like it. I didn't like what I was reading for, especially for someone like me that is like ethnically diverse. Just like I was met with a lot of like, you're not white enough. You're not Latina enough, which at the time meant a very stereotypical definition of Latina. Like they wanted someone that spoke broken English, not realizing that a lot of Latinx children grow up in the US, you know, just because our parents are immigrants doesn't mean that we speak broken English a lot of the time. Actually, my first language was English, even though my parents, their first language wasn't. They spoke predominantly Spanish and Italian in our house. It was the 90s. My parents didn't, they wanted to Americanize us so hard. They like really had this idea that you know, my sister, my brother and I could like really just be, you know, American children. And so they actually didn't put any effort into teaching us Spanish or even Italian. So yeah, so I was seeing what I was auditioning for and I didn't really like it. And I switched to screenwriting because I was like, you know what? I love creative writing and this is kind of what I was here for anyways. So why don't I just focus it into screenwriting and film and try and just make characters that not only I want to play, but other people that aren't being represented on screen would want to play and maybe bring some of that representation as well, which is why now I focus and advocate for diverse representation of women and also LGBTQ characters. And a lot of the projects that I make incorporate those characters. I as love well. that you were like, hey, I'm not seeing these characters. I'm going to make these characters like I can't imagine how it would feel going to an audition or submitting something and, and them expecting you to be some sort of stereotypical way that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's definitely very uncomfortable. But it's so funny because for a lot of my life, I was so uncomfortable with who I was that I let people do that to me, which I think is like a huge learning lesson and the importance of just like owning yourself and and being authentic to who you are because some of the best work and my most favorite work that I'm doing now is truly born from the fact that I am just so in myself and have accepted myself as I am but I didn't come out until later I grew up in the closet and yeah again I came from like a very culturally diverse background where both my mom and my dad's heritages, they were not supportive of the LGBTQ community. And also their religion wasn't, and there wasn't a lot of queer representation. I identify as queer, I'm bisexual. I didn't see that on screen. I didn't see anyone that I could be like, oh, this is how I feel. So I struggled and did what, did what a lot of bisexual individuals do is coding. You know, I was like, well, 
I can like I do I am attracted to guys and you know I'll just like hide and and just hide under that but I was very very unhappy severely depressed and felt like I was just not myself and then finally I I met someone a girl that I really liked and we started to date and I had this massive anxiety attack because it was such a big secret and I remember I got home after we had this incredible night together and I was like I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell my parents I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say it I'm going to say, I don't know what I'm going to say because I didn't even think I identified as gay, but I was like, maybe I'm gay. <laughs> so I'm just going to walk in. I'm going to be like, I'm gay. And I walked in and instead I just went to the bathroom and like took a shower and literally tried to like scrub my skin off because I, this is just like, you know, the ingrained stigma that my family raised me in, that my family's cultures raised them in that media and the represent and representation of queer individuals it all just got to me in that moment and i ended up you know breaking things off with her and was like all right i'm going to continue hiding and i don't know what i'm doing and like i don't even know if i'm you know gay and i didn't think i was straight but i was like whatever like this is better than feeling this scary feeling <laughs> that you have when you come from a family like were you that. Were worried your parents were going to disown you or it was just going to change the relationship or yeah, I mean, I think both. I think first and foremost, it definitely is the scarier part is that my relationship with them might not ever be the same. It would change. Here's what what we don't realize, though, because a lot of the time when we feel anxiety and when we feel stress over something, we immediately go to this negative of, you know, my, my relationship with them is going to change. It's going to be negative. It's going to be a negative change. Yeah, you come out, your relationship with them is going to change, but it also could be so beautiful and positive because they can understand you in a way that maybe they didn't understand you before. But that was not where my mind went. And it took me a very long time to be able to get to that place, which is eventually how I ended up getting the courage to come out. But then I think the other fear was that, you know, I was under their roof I didn't think that they would love me anymore. And that is a really scary idea to be stuck in, you know, to be a, a child, a, a teenager, you know, stuck in a household and feel like you are there because they feel an obligation to you. If they let you even stay and, you know, don't kick you out, you are left because you're an obligation and there's no love. And, you know, at the end of the day, like we all want to be accepted. We all want to feel like we belong and, and we all want love, especially from our family and, and the people that we respect and care yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. That's because I think, you know, one of the hardest things about coming out is I will speak for myself on this, but I think it's that something is building up inside of, of me for years and years and years. And then when it finally comes out, it's like the first time this other person has a chance to to absorb it and respond to it and figure out, you know, how they feel about it. Yeah, for sure. And and again, I think it's, you know, they at the end of the day, I think the most beautiful thing about connection and the reason why people do connect is because we connect through authenticity. So like, how can you have a relationship with someone, whether it's a partner or a friend or a family or relative, how can you have a real relationship with them? How can you have a real connection if there's no honesty or authenticity or vulnerability there? And it's a really vulnerable thing to come out and it shouldn't be. And I hope one day 
it isn't because if you're straight, you don't come out. You don't go to your parents and you're like, hey guys, like I'm straight. So like, it's just, I hope that one day we evolve to the point where like, no one has to come out. There are no assumptions. Your parents aren't like, oh, like Ella, are you bringing home a boy? Or like, do you have a crush on a boy? Instead it's like, do you have a crush on someone? Also like, you know, I have problems with gender and assuming gender too. It's like the binaries of it. So like, let's just screw the gender reveal parties. Screw imposing on your children these ideas that they should have a crush on a boy or a girl in this heteronormative concept. And let's just leave it as like, do you have a crush on someone? Is there someone you like? And let the child, the kid decide for themselves how they feel. And I hope that, you know, we get to that point. But the truth is we're not there yet. So representation is important. And I do think it's also important to share coming out stories because it is really scary because you don't really see it a lot or hear about yeah, it a lot. I love talking about gender reveal parties because I, they're so ridiculous. And you know how that people are like religious folks of all kinds of religions that hate the LGBTQ community. They're always saying that it's an abomination and that the Bible says this or that. Well, that gender reveal party that started all the, the forest fire. I'm like, is that not... Is that not God speaking? Do we not receive messages the other way? <laughs> right. It's so ridiculous. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, that truly is like the universe saying like, hey, guys, get with the times. Maybe let's evolve past these like outdated concepts and ideas. Yeah. I When I first started seeing those pop up on Facebook, I was like, if if you invite me to this, I am just telling you no. I am not even going to pretend I might come and not show up. Like I am not interested in being a part of this. I don't have the time to explain to you all the issues with it. But like I said, God's spoken. So I think we're we're good on that going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I know you said uh, that your parents were religious. Were you raised religious? I was. I went to Sunday school, uh, had, you know, got my confirmation, the, the whole bit, and then politely got asked to leave Sunday school because I asked too many questions. Mm. And funny enough, like looking back, I realized that the two girls in there were like only three or four of us girls in the in the Sunday class. And the two of them were like such bullies. And they would call me really. I remember once they like called me like a lesbian because I was like looking at one of them, I guess, or I just like zoned out in class. I'm pretty sure I did not have a crush on them. I would have no problem admitting that now yeah. if I did. But I just zoned out because I just was so not interested in what the teacher was saying. And I might've had been looking at one of them. It's just like so cruel. Like that's that's just like the environment that it was. So I, as soon as they politely asked that I left for asking too many questions, I was like, peace out, happy to yeah, leave. Yeah, you're like, you, didn't, you still haven't answered a single one of my questions, I'm sure. I was yeah. raised Jewish and we're, we were taught to ask questions. They wanted us to be satisfied with the, with the answers. But a lot of folks of different Christian denominations that I talked to were, were taught to just to just believe and to just trust in God. And that was your answer. And that was not satisfactory to a lot of wandering minds. I love that you are encouraged to ask questions. I feel like no one should trust any institution, any um religious group or system that encourages not asking questions. I feel like there's some inner workings of trying to like control what people do when you start to not let people ask questions. I think it's really healthy because then that starts dialogue and we can start to figure out how to communicate with each other and how to create better systems that work for everyone instead of just a selective group of people. Yeah, I, I remember when like the internet first started. Yes, I am that old. <laughs> when I remember um, <laughs> when it was exciting that like a store you went to had a website, but they had this, and I think I found it on Ask Jeeves or some old thing that's not around anymore. Um, but they had this like ask a rabbi where you could just go on a chat room and just ask a rabbi whatever you wanted. 
Yeah, which is like, that's just how it is. And, you know, I think that's wonderful. I hope other organizations and religions, you know, encourage that too. But I'm always surprised when I hear that, like, people's questions were met with resistance and frustration and being told, hey, you're asking too many questions. (laughs) Yeah. the thing. (laughs) Okay, so NYU... Did you finish school or did you start doing film? I know a lot of folks start at NYU and end up because they're in the industry or they get job opportunities to to take those. Did you finish school? What was your next what was your next move? Yeah, I, I finished school. I graduated. And then unfortunately, a week after I graduated, my father passed away very unexpectedly. He, uh, yeah, and it's so funny and interesting because like I've, I never actually came out to him. But at his funeral, someone that we grew up with that we called uncle that was his best friend said to me, which is like inappropriate to say this at the funeral, but there's like a silver lining to this comment. He was like, at the time I was dating um, someone who identified as a guy or as male. And uh, I introduced him to my uncle and he said, wow, you know, for a while there, your dad and I had a bet on if you were going to be a lesbian or not. And I was like, rude. <laughs> but now I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Definitely queer. So I'm, I feel like my dad saw my queer vibes, whether or not he chose to acknowledge them. That's a different question. So I never got to like fully come out to him. But he passed away. I stayed in New York, took care of my mom, because I was the youngest. And everyone's like, we have jobs, you don't have anything. <laughs> so stay in New York. And then finally, it came down to it. And it, you know, I just I had to get out of New York and I moved to LA. And uh, at the time, I also was assisting a director, commercial director. So during that whole experience, I was able to be on set and see how directing worked, which was something that I didn't really get to see. Because again, I've done the acting side of it at that point. I studied screenwriting. So I felt like I had scripts and treatments under my belt, but I hadn't seen the directing side of it. And while I was on set assisting him, it just dawned on me, like, why can't Why can't I do all of these things that I love? At the end of the day, it's storytelling and that's what I love doing. So why can't I be a part of like all these different areas? And after working for him for for a little bit, I uh, I think it was like two or three years, I quit and directed my first short film, Piece of Cake, which is how I actually came out to my family. And I'd come out to a couple of close friends before then, but I came out to other people. And yeah, it just gave me the confidence I was going. The film got into a bunch of different film festivals. And funny enough, I made a coming out story because at the time that's what I needed to make because I thought I was never going to come out in my life. Because at this point, again, once you graduate and you like leave your house, there's this idea of like, do I need to like I'm no longer living under my parents' roof. I could just do whatever the heck I want to do. But I uh, I decided to come out because we were going around with the film and talking about it. And I was always talking about it at a hand's distance on the importance of representation, you know, in a very clinical like filmmaker sense. And then finally, I was like, I did it because I thought I was never going to come out and was terrified. So I wrote a char- about a character that was terrified of coming out and then she came out. And it's funny because a part of the reason why she was so scared to come out was because her parents in the film, her parents automatically assumed that her girlfriend's name, because it's a gender fluid name, that he, the girlfriend was actually a guy. So once her parents started to impose that on her, it just felt like, you know, it made it feel even more difficult to be like, hey, actually, I'm going to correct you on that. And Alex isn't a guy, Alex is a girl. So she just never did correct them. And, you know, it had already been a year and a half or something. And her parents had already assumed for a year and a half that she'd been dating some 
guy named Alex. But yeah, so I made that film and, and I came out to my mom and my, my brother and my sister and my sister and my brother sent me the most incredibly beautiful text. And this is what I mean by like being surprised. It changed my relationship with my whole family, but I think for absolutely the better. I feel so much closer to my sister and my brother and even my mom. I feel like I can actually talk to them. I feel like they get me more. And before I felt like I was constantly a shell of a, a human hiding something. And I felt that hiding, I think, builds shame. So even if it was my choice to not come out, hiding built shame inside of me. And I was just so tired of feeling that. And that's eventually what led to also me just being like, fuck it, I'm bi. I am attracted to other gen, like more than one gender, <laughs> same gender as me, opposite gender, non-bi. Like I, I don't know how else to you know, say that, but to my family, I don't know how else to say this, but I'm bi <laughs> and luckily, I didn't have to say anymore to my brother and my sister, although my mom had a couple of questions. Yeah, but, and questions are good, right? <laughs> questions are, <laughs> we <laughs> encourage questions. Because <laughs> I, I always think about when I was a kid, I was the quietest kid. I, I just did my homework. I The teachers never had, when my mom went to parent-teacher conferences, because my mom, my mom was a teacher herself, so she loved the parent-teacher conference because she wanted to hear about how wonderful her children were. Like, that was just, you know, she's, get all dressed up to do that. And they would just say, Amanda's quiet and does her work. Like they didn't know anything about me. I had a small group of friends. And even in my like small group of friends and social interactions, I wasn't the loudest. I used to ask more questions than I would answer because that builds this like mm -hmm. false, I feel like it's like a false closeness with people where they're like, wow, I shared all this stuff with her. We must be best friends, but they don't know a thing about me. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think a lot of that came from like just knowing uh, for a while, not identifying exactly why I felt different or other. But then once I realized that, just trying to bury that down deep inside. So, you know, I understand what you were saying about like, it really changes who you are, who you are completely. And then how, how you have relationships with family, friends, partners. Yeah, it definitely does. I think also there's this really beautiful, complex aspect to figuring out your sexual sexuality. And it's, it's a huge part of our identities, but it's not our identity. And just to circle back to like representation in film and TV, as a queer storyteller, I think I see a lot of the time when storytellers who aren't queer that are telling queer stories or creating queer characters, a lot of the time that character storyline, the journey of it is their sexuality. And I think that that's the difference when you have a queer storyteller or a queer writer or a queer artist that's behind, you know, giving representation on screen. You start to have characters that have struggles that are universal and their sexuality is not the focus of the story. It's just a part of a part of who they are. There are parts of all of us. You know, it, and it's just it's a, it feels like a little bit of a smaller part, which is it, the exciting thing, I think, about being a storyteller is that we get to start to create those kind of stories where there is authentic representation, diverse and authentic LGBTQIA representation on on yeah, screen. Yeah, no, uh, 100%. Yeah, I was thinking about and this kind of probably like doesn't totally relate, but in my brain, there was a connection there. But uh, do you remember this movie called Now and Then? Was that before your time? I don't know. So it. you should totally watch it. It, it was made okay. by the same lady 
Eileen Chaikin, who also makes uh, Pretty Little Liars. No, Now and Then came out when I was like 10 or maybe 11 or 12 and it had like Christina Ricci and Gabby Hoffman and Rosie O'Donnell and uh, Melanie Griffith and uh, Demi Moore. It's fantastic. Rita Wilson. Anyway, it's great. But like Now and Then you could tell that there was some queer and there's a lot of queer theory about it, but it came out in like 96, I want to say, 95, when you couldn't Mm -hmm. have a queer character so there was just like these underlying themes and then then Pretty Little Liars comes out and one of the so now and then has four girls that are like the main girls and then Pretty Little Liars you essentially have mm-hmm. four girls that are the main girls and one of them is queer and comes out and it's not a big deal to anybody they didn't make that her story arc it was like she has to come out and it has to you know like it's part of her story but it's not it's not over it doesn't overtake who she is like she gets to still be a character and have depth and have you know, all these other facets to her. And I think you you can see from those two things, like how far we've actually come. Yeah, I know there's a ways to go. But just seeing that gives me hope. Yeah, totally. I, I love that storyline in Pretty Little Liars. I think it, I don't remember the character's name, but Shay Mitchell plays the character. Emily. Yeah, Emily. That's right. Yes, yes. How did I know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's even even movies like Moonlight and Call Me By Your Name, it's refreshing and definitely does give hope. You know, obviously we still have some ways to go. There still is not a lot of LGBTQ representation on screen when we talk about major studio films, which at the end of the day, like that's what's getting seen a lot of the time. It's not the independent films, although I love indie films and will forever watch them. (laughs) You know, the major population around the world are seeing the studio films. Um, And as long as those films that are being seen around the world predominantly don't have LGBTQ representation. I think it like Glad Research said something a couple of years ago. It was 13% of 109 of the studio films had LGBTQ characters. And at the time, like 0% were trans characters. A smaller percentage, I think it was like 15 or something, were bisexual. And then 30% might have been bi- lesbian. And then something around 60% were gay men. So, you know, we still have like quite a bit to go in terms of like the diversity of not, you know, racially diverse and also within the LGBTQ community, how people identify like that kind of diversity with characters on screen. But I'm so excited. I feel like it's happening and it's it feels like it's slow. But just to think about how much progress we're making, like the fact that I think it's Sports Illustrated had their first trans model on the cover. Like that's incredible. Like so powerful. Uh, I did not hear about that. That's That's huge. Yeah, I think she's Brazilian, I believe. I wish I remembered her name, but I remember um, my sister sent it to me. And again, like this is a part of like how we became closer. Like she sends me like all of these queer articles that she finds and she's like, look at this. Like, did you know and this? That's great. So now that's a point where you were afraid this was a point that was going to was going to tear you apart. Now it's where y'all can have conversations and, and share, you know, common things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is going to be a very broad question, but uh, how do you become a filmmaker? Like how... How do you, you have an idea for a film, you write a film, how, how does it get made? How, what is that process? And I know we don't, that's probably going to be a lot longer than a podcast answer, but I think it's so wonderful that you're doing all of the things that you sought out to do. Like, I think that's fantastic. How can someone else, you know, even attempt part of it? Thank you. Short answer of that. Use your voice. Everyone has a story to tell. Your voice is unique and let that carry your concept and your idea. In terms of filmmaking, there are many different ways that you can make a film or be a filmmaker. Use your phone, use your phone camera. If you have something that you wanna share, make it and show it to your friends and get advice and then make something again. I think that that's what makes you a filmmaker and a writer is that you don't just make one thing and then 
go away, you know, or like keep working and never executing anything, keep making stuff, keep making it and putting it out. And if someone says it sucks, and I've had people say things that I make are not that, you know, they didn't like it. And I'm like, all right, how can I make something better? How can I, you know, how can I do something again? How can I make something that now they're going to be like, oh shit, I was wrong. You are a great filmmaker. So I think that's the biggest secret is just keep making stuff. And it doesn't matter the budget of it. It doesn't matter the quality of it. Obviously at some point, if you want it to get into certain film festivals and you want to you know, have it bought for distribution, you do have to have a budget. And that's like, again, a longer podcast <laughs> answer because that's very complicated. But my short answer is if you have a voice and you have a vision, make it happen and get your friends to act in it, get your friends to help you with audio. I made a film called um, Until It's Safe in Quarantine because of COVID. <laughs> Didn't think that we were going to make a film, but my filmmaker friend in Manila, we co-wrote, co-directed, co-edited this whole piece. And we literally did everything on our own. And I ordered a mic on Amazon for like 20 bucks and did my own audio. I think that where there's a will, there's a way and just, just figure it out. YouTube is your friend, best friend. I YouTube everything. Yeah. That's how I learned how to do this podcast. I watched a lot of 16 year old boys tell me how to do my audacity <laughs> editing, but I, you know, I, I did it cause it's, you know, you want to learn. I love that. I just, I think for me, like every time I have an idea for something, I'm like to, to actually do the whole film and, and put it out there for festival. Like it just seems like so much and, and you seem to make it easy. I mean, well, when you love what you do, there is a, an aspect of it where it comes off as easy, right? It's really hard, but I love it and I don't see myself doing anything else for the rest of my life. So what are, are you working on anything right now? I know you said that uh, you just made a film during quarantine. Are you, do you have anything else coming up? Yeah. So the film that uh, we made during quarantine actually just released on Outfest now. Um, so it's available to watch. I think it's on their Outfest now streaming platform and they're launching a creator Q&A where we actually talk about like what it was like to make the film during lockdown. Lots of Zoom meetings. <laughs> and then I have another short film that we're wrapping post-production within COVID guidelines. We're like working in the digital space, which like everyone's working in the digital space now, which is so surreal. Um, instead of going in you know, with an editor and like sound and all like the whole post-production team, everything is happening remotely. Um, so we're in that process of wrapping that film post-production all remotely. Um, so hopefully that will be released um, in the next That's month. That's great. Yeah, we'll make sure to, to link it up to our social media um, as well so that, you know, folks that listen to this can can be linked to you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk cool. with us. It sounds like you're very, very busy. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, honestly, my puppy is commandeering most of my time. But when my puppy doesn't make me hold his apple so he can chew on it, then I get writing done. He's just keeping you humble. Yeah, right. I am just his humble servant. Uh, can you let folks know how they can find you? I know you have a, a wonderful website that I had the chance to look at and had a lot of great links to, to find you and find all about the work that you're doing. Um, but do you want to just share how people can connect with you? Yeah, for sure. My partner made my website, so they will love that very much. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Ella Lentini, also on Twitter, at Ella Lentini. There's an email form on my website, so you can always just write an email. If you have any questions about how to watch anything, just you know, shoot an email on the forum. And Great. Yeah. Well, like I said, thank you so much for doing this. We'll share all your links on all the, the social media so people can find you. And it was so great to, to sit down with you, and good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I love talking about all of this. So it just, it may, it reminds, you know, 
It reminds, I think, everyone why like queer content is so important. Yeah, and why we're, you know, even during COVID and the pandemic, we're still driven to to continue to make content and make sure that that queer stories and queer lives are, are represented. Yeah, and thank you for having such amazing <laughs> questions and keeping this conversation so lively. I, I love this is so much oh, fun. Thank you. Thank you to Ella Lentini for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. Find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart, Twitter at Queer to My Heart. We got some cool merch. The holidays are coming up. Check it out at tpublic.com, T-E-E public.com. The link to our store is on all our social media. It's also in the liner notes for this episode. So thank you all for all your support and love. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.